Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here is your host, Michael Stiltzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. I am really excited about today's show. I'm going to be joined by Chris Penn, and we're going to explore a concept known as predictive analytics. We're going to talk about what it is and what it could mean for your marketing. By the way, if you want to email me, podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com. Now for this week's brand new discovery. Helping you stay alive in the social jungle. Here is this week's survival tip. This week I'm joined by Eric Fisher with a brand new discovery. What'd you find, Eric? I found a really cool way to add visuals to all your content by yet another one of those stock photo sites. But this one is unique. Tell me more. All right. Well, this one is called Reshot and... Instead of it being stock photo-esque, it has that feel of stock photos, but done in a really creative, you know, actually shot by a photographer type way. And it's called Reshot. Okay. So explain what you mean by that really cool photographer type way. So if you, the best scenario or the best way to explain it is this, say, You tell somebody, well, I need a stock photo of a person sitting at a table on a beach. You could, you can imagine the really horrible stock photo version of that. Right. Everybody can kind of picture that in their mind. But then if you were to have an actual photographer, go take that shot and then give that to you as your stock photo image for your presentation or for whatever use you, you need that for, that's what this site has. It kind of, back in the day when I used to have a design agency, Getty Images, and I'm sure they still are the big one, you know, they would have these photo books that they would send us and they were all sorts of interesting creative shots. So this sounds like it's a lot higher quality than a lot of the other stock photo sites that we're talking about. Is that correct? It really does. Yeah. And I mean, as you scroll through it and you you find this at reshot.com, that's R-E-S-H-O-T.com. And as you scroll through like you see happy, smiley people and, you know, uh, landscapes and all these different kind of scenarios. But don't get me wrong. There's still some weird stock photo images in here. One of my favorites that I came across was guys dressed as Santa Claus sitting by the door, lonely, like waiting, like waiting to go outside and be Santa or something, which I'm just like, I don't know what the use for that is, but they got you covered. So, <laughs> so, so what's, what's the big deal about this particular site other than the quality? I mean, is what's the pricing model? How does it work? Do you know? So the, so this is real simple. Like ultimately their, their tagline is they are 
hand-picked, non-stocky images that are yours to use as you wish. So like every smart person, I went and clicked on the license because I wanted to know, well, what can I really use this for? And they, their license is so simple. It just says, these photos are, we give you the, the right to use them irrevocably, non-exclusive, copyright license. You can download, copy, modify, distribute, perform, and use them for free, including commercial purposes without permission. And I'm like, wow. This is so. Wait a minute. These are just total. To this true. is totally free. It's totally free. Huh. Yeah. So I, I think it's just. You know what? I think this might be. A, I wonder if this is like a opportunity for the photographers to get some of their portfolio stuff out there. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm guessing too. Yeah, because it says free for commercial use and unlimited digital use. Yeah. So that's got to be what it is because I, I'm wondering what the heck their business model is. You know. <laughs> right. That's really fascinating. Um, very cool. So it's reshot.com. Thank you so much for this discovery, Eric. You're welcome. I was recently at Social Media Marketing World, and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Not everyone knows what I'm about to share with you. We do something special here at Social Media Examiner. The best of the best of the guests that you hear on the Social Media Marketing Podcast not only teach at our conference, but they're also part of our secret society called the Social Media Marketing Society. Each month, our top tier guests who have been on my show are invited to train inside our society for an exclusive group of marketers who are just like you. The training is designed to help you go from being a passive consumer of content to a marketer who is in active learning mode. So if you're ready to make real progress with your marketing, you're a perfect fit for the Social Media Marketing Society. Join us by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. We've got a really big sale that is ending very soon, so don't delay. Again, visit smmarketingsociety.com and join today. And now for today's interview with Chris Penn. Helping you to simplify your social safari. Here is this week's expert guide. I'm very excited to be joined by Chris Penn. If you don't know who Chris Penn is, he is the co-founder and chief innovator at Brain Trust Insights. He's also the co-host of Marketing Over Coffee, a great podcast. And he's also been our lead analytics expert at Social Media Marketing World for years. Chris, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Michael, for having me. It is a pleasure to be here. Uh, so, Chris, I want to ask you kind of a little bit of a backstory question. How did you become like an analytics geek, if you don't mind me asking, before we get into all this kind of stuff? No problem. So it's really funny. I got into it via technology. My original background was in IT. And then in 2003, I joined a student loan startup as the IT director. And that, of course, became, the hey, instead of updating just the web server, can you update the website? So just running the email server, can you also send this week's email? And would do these things. And after a while, uh, my CEO would say, how did it do? Um, well, I don't know. So, well, this is 2003. Google Analytics didn't even exist back then. Right. And so like, okay, well, let's just figure it out. And so started developing stuff, building stuff to just to do the basics of like how many people visited the website today. Uh, and over time, that became you know, a core focus for me, the analytics practice. What happened? Why did it happen? And, and what are we going to do about it? 
Excellent. And were you somebody who um, got an IT degree or were you more of a programmer or were you just kind of a self-taught techie? No, I have I have uh, my bachelor's degree of all things is in political science, but they focus on stateless transnational terrorism. It was a mouthful. Wow. And uh, <laughs> and my master's degree is in management of information systems. So very much an IT, uh, a business IT degree. Perfect. All right. Well, uh, we're here to, today to talk about predictive analytics. So I know a lot of people might intuitively think they understand what in the heck that means, but I would love you to kind of describe it in words that you think marketers can understand. What is predictive analytics? I think in a lot of ways, this is one of the few areas of statistics and machine learning that what you see is what you get. It's a sort of, you know, cup of soup marketing. Predictive analytics means you're using analytics to make predictions because there are a lot of things. We, We humans are very predictable, right? We all follow very similar routines. You get up every day, you kind of do the same thing pretty much every day, at least, you know, in the, in the, the start of your day, you probably have a certain order in which you do things like you, you may or may not brush your teeth first. You may or may not shower first. You may or may not uh, put one piece of clothing on before another, but you generally probably do the same things day after day. Because humans are predictable on both a micro and a macro scale, we as marketers can, can say, okay, we know mostly what's going to happen because people follow the same things. So if you're a B2C marketer, for example, you pretty much know that you're going to be busy from November 1 to December 26 because it's just going to be crazy trying to, to you know, get your products sold. If you're a B2B marketer, uh, I, I should be specific. This is for North America typically. If you're a B2B marketer, you know that your busy time is January 1 to about end of May, and then picks up right after Labor Day in the United States, and then it goes through to uh, the U.S. Thanksgiving. And outside of those times, it's a lot harder to be a marketer, to be any kind of marketer, digital, social, paid. And so because we know these things generally, we can then start to be more specific in predicting them. And that's where the machines come into play, because we can predict generally, but the value of predictive analytics is in specificity. If I know what week of the year I should be doing more Facebook Live, or I know what week of the year I should be doing uh, less ad spend, then I can be more efficient in my marketing. I can be more effective. Uh, I like to say, if you if you know how to predict well, you can make money, save money, save time, and not get fired. Fascinating. I think about the stock market and I think about the people that have been doing these charts and stuff like that and they're predicting behavior on buys and sells. And I also think back to before I started Social Media Examiner, I was a writer and I did a lot of B2B writing and I worked for some of the really big data houses that had access to just incredible databases and they could predict the, the when when you're, you're going to buy your new car. I also think about like these cards that people, you know, when they're walking through a grocery store and they have this special card, you know, that they use and, and they can tell, for example, if someone is likely going to have a baby, for example, Mm -hmm. if they're buying certain kinds of things, is this the kind of stuff we're talking about? At a macro level? Yes. Anything that involves trying to figure out what happens next with predictive analytics, as it applies to what your average market is going to do today, it is time series prediction. So when is something going to happen? Uh, and that's probably the most conventional application. And also, I think the most useful because 
if you are, you know, if you're a social media marketer, you want to know when do I need to staff up my customer service uh, team to answer customer inquiries? You know, what weeks should I tell people, no, you can't go on vacation? Hmm. Uh, the, the bigger picture, like, okay, you know, is this person a, a, an expecting parent? Absolutely is predictive analytics, but there is a little more nuance to those applications. How long has this discipline been around? In your opinion, predictive analytics itself is probably close to 70 years old now, um, wow. which is probably it's not like people are like I keep hearing about this and machine learning and stuff. What do you mean it's 70? Well, the theories, the mathematical formulas have been around for a really long time. What's changed for people is that now we have compute power, we have processors and laptops and desktops and cloud servers that can do much bigger number crunching in a more time efficient manner. It is theoretically possible to do predictive analytics on paper. It will just take you a lot of paper in a very long time. Uh, Axiom was the company that I did work for. I don't know if you ever heard of them, but they were mm-hmm. a very large data aggregator and um, they required, you know, like access to crazy software, you know, lots of science scientists and engineers are we now at an era with things like google analytic and facebook insights and other kinds of social data that it's not as complicated you don't need entire teams to do this kind of stuff or is this still pretty complicated yeah that's a really good question you need three aptitudes to do predictive analytics well um you need someone who has some, at least some level of develop, development skills because a lot of the data, you just cited some really great data sources. Uh, you, you need to get the data out of those things. Um, the, the analogy I love to use, I'm sure you've heard the expression, data is the new oil. Um, I like that expression because if you've ever actually held crude oil, it's kind of a disgusting mess. Uh, it does not really much you can do with it. Uh, but you need to be able to extract it out of the ground, refine it, and then give it to people to, to be able to make use of it in cars and, you know, making plastic bowls that don't break when they fall on the floor. With predictive analytics, it's much the same thing. You need developers to extract the data from the systems. And they can be systems you own, systems that are third party, whatever. You know, it could be Twitter, it could be Facebook, it could be Google. Whoever has the data, you need to be able to get it out. Then you need data scientists or people who have a data science aptitude to be able to take that data, refine it, clean it, prepare it. And then you need marketing technologists. And this is where a lot of social media marketers are today, um, having to start to dip their toes into that. Like you've now, now you've got the data, you've got the forecast. Now you got to go do something with it. And that's interpretation, biggest, right? I mean, you're talking about interpreting the data at this point, or is it something different? And acting on it, yeah. acting on it. Got if it. I tell you that, you know, Mike, your week, to, the, the week to promote social media marketing world 2019 is going to be October 19th, 2018. If you just say cool, and then you don't do anything with it, then there's no point in, in doing the prediction. It, it's um, Seth huh. Godin really said it well. If, uh, if you're not going to change how you eat, don't get on the scale. How accurate is predictive analytics in your opinion? It, 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 that's a very good question. It is as accurate as the underlying data and the algorithm you choose to predict with. So um, there are some folks, 
even in you had mentioned the stock market earlier, some of the technical stock analysis is as simple as someone taking a, a printout and a ruler and a red pen and drawing lines on it. Um, that is still a very popular thing to do. That's not, I would say, super accurate, but it certainly is a, one way. Um, but the bigger problem that almost everyone's going to run into at some point is data quality. The underlying data is not good. You didn't set up Google Analytics right. You didn't set your goals right. Um, you forgot to turn on your Facebook pixel, any of those things. So that underlying data quality is the the key influencer for the accuracy or lack thereof of predictive analytics. So we've talked a little bit about like what it can what it is and what it can do. Um, you specifically mentioned that it can help you determine specific actions that need to be done at specific times. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that and maybe just like more the what the heck you can do with it from a as a practical marketer? Yeah. So when you do it, when I do a predictive forecast, it typically is a 52 week chart. It looks like a line graph and just has by week and the predicted whatever the data series is. Most of the time I use search data because people will type stuff into Google that they will not tell another human being they're typing. <laughs> they would never ask a person face-to-face -face some of the things people type into Google. So it's a very good indicator of what's actually on somebody's mind. Hmm. So with search data, and there's a lot of it available. Some of it's even freely available through things like the AdWords Keyword Planner, through Google Trends, things like that. You can take this data, forecast for a trend of some kind uh, or a data series, and then identify the peaks and the valleys. So uh, if I were to search for social media marketing and extract five years of data, because that's a, a really good window, uh, anywhere from one to five years of data is a good window for this particular application. When in the next year are people going to be searching for social media marketing? If I happen to know that it's going to be March 20th, April 19th, May, uh, May 27th, July 4, September 10, October 21 of this coming year, those are my high watermarks. Now, if I know those dates, then I also know what happens before and after. In the three, the two to three weeks before, there's typically a run up to that peak, which means that if I'm a social media marketer, I had better be cranking up my ad spend. If I am an organic marketer, I better be posting a lot and doubling down on the number of Instagram stories I make. Hmm. Uh, if if I am a public relations person, I better be pitching months in advance to hit, you know, try and get stuff in publications on those dates. And then on the valleys, when there's not much happening. Those are the periods of time when I, as a, as a marketer, need to be banking content. So I should be recording podcasts like this. I should be guest hosting on, you know, on everything. I should be blogging my brains out and stockpiling content so that when the next peak comes along, I can hit the cadence I need to hit without burning myself out. This is fascinating because it sounds like what I hear you saying is that there are repeatable human patterns that, for whatever reason, happen. And when we can ride the wave, so to speak, we can benefit. Is that kind of what I'm hearing you say? Exactly right. You make money on the peaks, you save money on the dips, and you and you plan and you build your strategy based on when things are likely to happen. Now you mentioned B two C versus B two B. Is this is this more? Is there more data out there at the, at the consumer level? Is it easier to do if you're B two C? No, it's about even because people type stuff into Google. All day, every day, B2B, B2C, B2, whatever. Uh, Brian Kramer likes to call it human to human because right. people want to Google stuff. Um, okay, so we've got, uh, you know, you, you threw out Google as a great open source, if you will, data source out there. Are there other 
data sources that we as marketers need to be thinking about that kind of play into the predictive analytic um, preparation, if you will? Yes. Any data source that is time-based is a valid da- and, and obviously is, is correct. So social media conversations per network. So your Pinterest predictions may be different than your Facebook ones, may be different than your Twitter ones. Hmm. Um, so you should be predicting on all of that data. There are some really great tools out there for doing that. Uh, one that is free but has like a two-year wait list is um, called CrowdTangle that Facebook bought a year ago. Fantastic tool because it gives you time series data down to the individual post level. If you are a public relations person, you should be pulling news mentions and, and news coverage. If you are an advertiser, you should be pulling pay-per-click amounts, you know, bid prices, all these things. Uh, I did a predictive run for a casino and they gave me two years of daily slot machine revenue. Here's how much our slot machines made every day for the last two years. Put that into the algorithm, pass it forward, and now we have a revenue forecast for them to tell us what they're likely to make in the next year. And then they can say, okay, on these periods here when our, our slot revenue is low, we know we need to crank up some promotions, we need to run some ads, we need to have, bring in a, a special guest singer or something, but it will help them patch those gaps in their revenue. So as a marketer, if you've got good quality data that is segmented by time, you have the basis for a prediction. How do we rule out our actions as marketers impacting the data. Hypothetical example, we gear up our marketing promotions for social media marketing world on certain schedules that we just, you know, have decided on. And how do we know, how do we rule out that the uh, cons- the behavior of the tribe and the community is not necessarily caused by our actions? Does that make any sense? I hope that makes sense. It makes sense because social media marketing world is such a successful and large show that it, it, you will actually influence when people search for things like social media marketing. There's a couple of different ways. When you when you pull the data, you can refine it. For example, you, if you're using a social listening tool, you can exclude mentions of the social media marketing world, hashtag social media examiner, Michael Stelzner, and stuff like that. And that will help reduce the volume of those things that are not supposed to be in there. Um, and the other thing is, there are ways to benchmark to say, like, this is the baseline uh, you know, outside of that season. Uh, so, you know, there's 20,000 mentions a day. Even in season, is, is there something that's disproportionate to uh, what should be there? So you, could, you, you can run sort of forecasting that way. But the best way really is at the data level. Clean the data, refine it, remove stuff that you know is is contaminating, for lack of a better word. And then you can forecast from that. Now, that said, if you were, you know, if you were marketing a social media marketing world, you wouldn't necessarily want to do that because if you are getting the tribe to move the needle overall for how the planet behaves when it looks at for, when people are googling for social media marketing, that's a good thing. That's that's a, a reason to a uh, celebrate your success and b um, try to see if you can double down on that and cause even more behavioral change in people uh, and by getting ahead of trends even earlier. For the um the marketer that's listening right now that might be asking him or herself, how do I know whether this is appropriate for my business? Are there certain kinds of prerequisites or certain kinds of like businesses that this is ideal for and others that this is not? I can give you a list of who this is not good for. So there are three things that you can't predict. You can't predict black swans. So these are things that are major uh, upheavals that would distort your data. So political unrest, uh, cultural upheaval, uh, natural disaster, uh, 
things like that. All these things are, are major are, are major interferers that can corrupt a forecast. So if you are in a sector um, where there are a lot of black swans for one reason or another, like the stock market, for example, would be a, a, a an industry that is extremely difficult to predict. Um, I would say outright almost near impossible to predict with accuracy. That would be one. The second is trying to predict something that has never happened. So my colleague, uh, Tom Webster of Edison Research, also a social media marketing world speaker in the past, um, talked a lot about the 2016 presidential election. You had two candidates that were running, and that competition has never happened before. So a lot of the people who were creating predictive tools and forecasts for the election at the time were basing their models on the 2012 election. Well, the people who voted for each candidate in each party were very different people between those two election years. And so all the tools that people built for 2016 were based on something that had happened in the past, but that was not happening in the present because it was totally different. So you can't forecast what has never happened. And the third thing that would be a disqualifier for predictive analytics is if your data is garbage. If you've got corrupted bad data or you have no data there's going to be very little that you can do to predict with accuracy. And I would almost say for companies where you know you have data infrastructure problems, predictive analytics is actually dangerous because it's it's not that it won't work. It's like driving with a GPS where the data is wrong. It'll just go right off a cliff. Is Google Analytics alone sufficient for organizations or do they need more? Google Analytics is a good start. It's certainly for most marketers the data that you're going to have. However, even that is subject to issues. So if you are using, say, marketing automation software, did you remember to put your Google Analytics tags on your landing pages in that software? If you didn't, you have data integrity problems. I personally like search data because it's come, you know, a number of reputable vendors. Uh, a good one is uh, SEMrush. They were a social media marketing world exhibitor this year. Their data is good quality and it's, it's a third party data source. So you as a company can't corrupt it per se. I mean, you can, you know, ask for the wrong things. Um, uh, another one, Brand24 does media monitoring. Their data, you know, it comes it's a third-party data source. Google, as I mentioned earlier, some of the search data from different SEO tools and from Google itself, those are all good data sources because they are consistent, they are normalized and regular, and they are reasonably clean. What about bots and what about blockers? And it's two sides of a different question, right? Because you have bots that are potentially um, throwing data in the wrong direction because they're not really humans, and then you've got... You've got um, you've got you know blocking software that stops these you know things from firing in the first place, therefore skewing your data. Are these problems that transcend even Google Analytics? Absolutely, and and social media in particular, uh, Instagram especially, uh, and Twitter especially are are rife with bots. Um, the good news is that. Um, the bot behaviors are generally are, are actually fairly predictable themselves because the people who wrote these bots were lazy uh, and they wrote very very primitive algorithms. So there is there are ways again in the data preparation process we can just remove them. Uh, there's this one bot right now that always has the exact same bio, different words, different links, but they have the exact same format of their bio. Something slash something. Check me out and then a link. Huh. That's <laughs> and there's like hundreds of that. I don't know why you know services like Instagram, Twitter just don't write a, a rule of their own, just get rid of these things. But they're easy to spot. Uh-huh. Um, so you can discount them in the data cleaning process. Now, the other example you mentioned is actually significantly harder. If you're trying to forecast on ad data, uh, and you know blockers are are removing data, that's very difficult to fix because 
it's not that the data is wrong. It's that you don't even have the data. It's incomplete, so, really, right? Exactly. It's incomplete. So there's two ways you can deal with that. One is uh, if you are looking for something that's directional and and the data you have is still representative, meaning like, okay, we know 30% of ads being blocked are, you know, are, are happening on a, a mobile device, but it's a consistent 30%. It's not like this site gets 22% blocked, but this site's 5%. If it's all relatively consistent, then you will still be pointed directionally in the right way because um, there will still be performance of some ads over time that will do better or worse. The other way is that if you have the data, and this would be a massive database, so I would not expect anybody except the big tech companies to have it unless you, know, you are a data company, is that you can do what's called imputation, where you can take data and from an existing trained data set and use machine learning to fill in the incomplete pieces. A really good example of this, uh, for those who don't know, um, LinkedIn turned off its uh, share numbers in early February. Right. And so you no longer get those that number from any social media monitoring tool. Well, if I was working at a social media monitoring company, I would take my backlog, my last 10 years of data, uh, and build use as a training set and infer the number of, of shares because you can as long as you have other parallel data sets like Twitter and Pinterest and stuff that would essentially let a machine sort of fill in the blanks. And so uh, if you are listening from Salesforce Social Studio or Sprout or Sprinkler or whatever, please do that <laughs> so that we can have that number back. Yeah, that's a fascinating little side trail that we won't necessarily go down, but the death of social proof, you know, with LinkedIn and Twitter, unfortunately, um, isn't, uh, you know, but that's, that's the thing that probably upsets marketers more than, uh, consumers. Um, examples. Uh, I know that you've done this kind of work for, um, for some various brands that we can genericize, but maybe you could just walk through, um, how you've been able to help some companies do this so people can in their brain kind of make some sense out of this. I think one of them was for an office supply company. Yeah. So there's a, a well-known office supply company that uh, we took the brand name and then the generic term office supplies and ran uh, two predictive analyses of it. And it was fascinating because they, they mirrored each other. Like they, they looked the same except office supplies was 20 days behind the brand name. So you had the brand name and you know, in, in, Late August, there's a big spike, and then it went back down. We figured, hey, back to school, back to work, and stuff like that. And then 20 days later, the search term for office supplies followed the exact same spike, exact same pattern. Hmm. And <clears throat> whatever it is behaviorally that's happening there, people look for the brand, and then 20 days later, they needed something and went and searched for the generic term. So our counsel to the company was, you need to build a retargeting campaign that's timed at 19 days so that everyone who goes to your website – uh, 19 days later, they get an ad reminding them to come back for more office supplies because that will help capture that demand. And so it's a really good example of using you know, comparative predictive analytics to understand uh, when things are happening and what you should be doing to, in order to make sure that you're capturing the maximum amount of demand of the audience. I like how you said earlier, the benefit of this is that First of all, you know when to, you know, boost your ad budgets, but you also know when to not waste your ad money, right? I mean, and that's, that's, right. that's kind of a huge potential ROI on this stuff, right? Because someone could assume that um, everything they're doing isn't working anymore and they could stop when in reality, they're just off pattern. Am I right? 
Exactly right. There's it could be off pattern. Uh, a really good example that I did for myself. Um, I was benchmarking off of when people search for Outlook out of office settings because that's a you know when someone's looking for that, you know what they're doing. They're getting ready to go on vacation, which means they're not reading their email, and that's why they're trying to set their out of office and they can't remember where the feature lives. So I ran that in October of last year and projected forward for all of the first quarter and the week that that search volume is was the, was projected projected to be the lowest meaning the most people were in the office was the week of january 18th of this year hmm. so what i did was i ran uh, a campaign exact same campaign as i ran in 2017 for you know buy my book or whatever um and it ran it that week the week of january 18th of 2018 same list same offer same creative I got 40% increase in the amount of sales of, of the book because I got the week right. The last year I did it and I was about two weeks offset and it made a huge difference because I was out, I was out of sync with the audience. So I got it back together and, and 40% lift in terms of sales just because I, I got the timing right. Fascinating. All right, let's let's walk through a hypothetical example. Let's say that uh, it's an online business. Let's say it's an online publisher. Uh, like we can take social media examiner, for example, you know, somebody who publishes content and, uh, how could someone who publishes information potentially use this to, uh, I don't know, be strategic if you will. So there's a whole bunch of ways. One of my favorite ways is for content strategy. If there are a series of topics that you know you talk about that you, you that you have subject matter experts for, so Facebook marketing, Instagram marketing, Pinterest marketing, um, and so on and so forth, you would run essentially a whole combination of these predictions, and every and and, and sort of look at the top 10% performing in every any given month. Guess what? That's now your editorial calendar because if you know the months when people are going to be most interested in Facebook marketing. You know you want to run uh, heavy features that month and you might, you'll even know down to the week level, okay? And the third week of February, this is when I want to, you know, make sure that I have my Facebook live uh, webcast on this thing. So as a publisher, you could always be hitting the high note every single month with a sufficient number of topics. That's one way to do it. Another way that you could you apply this is for your your advertising calendar. Again, if you know those same months when things are popular, you set your editorial ad calendar. Say, here's the you know, the, the the March special is going to be on uh, content strategy on Social Media Examiner, and then you set your rate cards based on this. Say, we know this is going to be the month. So, if you are a content marketing company and you want to advertise with Social Media Examiner, we'll give you a break in August, right? We'll give you forty percent off. Or if you really or book in 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 March, it's going to be full price. But we guarantee that we know based on audience desa- uh, demand, this is when people care most about content marketing. So that's huh. why our rates are higher that month. Fascinating. Okay, um, tools. Let's talk a little bit about about the kinds of tools that you need to be able to do this kind of stuff. So I have good news and bad news on the tools. The good news is the best tools that are available are free of financial cost. There, there are programming languages like R and Python uh, and then libraries within them like Profit, Scikit, NumPy, Timekit, etc. There's a whole bunch of these. They're all open source tools. So they're free of financial cost. That's the good news. The bad news is that you kind of have to have a lot of technical experience to be able to use them because these are literally – engine parts right they so you have a, a large shipping crate of engine parts and you're like but i i wanted a car I'm like nope sorry the only thing that exists are parts you got to build the car yourself um and so for 
the technically capable business of any size, if you have, like I mentioned, those roles, developer, data scientist, um, marketing technologist, if you have people or even one person with enough aptitude and interest to, to put the parts together, you can do this today for free. However, if you do not have the, the time, but you've got money, your best bet is to outsource it. Hire a company. Brain Trust Insights does this for people. Um, hire a company to do it. If you what have do they call time, what do they call people that do this kind of stuff? Is there a name for it? Data scientists. Got it. So if you have somebody who is a data geek inside your company, um, who 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 understands how to use these programming tools like this R and Python stuff, I think is what you called it. Mm-hmm. Then you're probably in a good spot. And um, but if you don't, then go out and hire a data scientist. Now, if, if there's some future data, data scientists here geeking out wanting to become a data scientist. Are there some blogs that they should read or books that they should read to understand how to do this kind of stuff for the for the person who maybe wants to get into this space? Yes. However, uh, there's a catch with that too. Mu- much of the date, the best stuff in data science is academic. Um, so kdnuggets.com is an excellent blog. I would t- strongly recommend it. The IBM data science blog, I would definitely recommend. Um, actually, I would say for any of the major tech companies, Microsoft, Amazon, Google, IBM, you should be reading their developer blogs. Um, but uh, IBM's data science blog is excellent. The data science experience from IBM is excellent as well. However, the best stuff is trapped in academia. It's free, but it's all academic papers. And, and where you're going to find some serious real gold is in reading those papers, not falling asleep, and extracting the information and saying, okay, here's a technique. Now, what can I use this on? So this predictive algorithm that we've been talking about for the last few minutes, um, like I said, it's been around for 70 years. It is like a spatula. Right. What can you do with a spatula? If you all you ever think is I'm going to flip a piece of toast with it because you, you don't think outside the box, then you're going to have a very expensive toast flipper. However, if you think about you know frying, grilling, stir frying, all these things that you can do with a spatula, then the possibilities become endless. And the same is true of these data science tools and a lot of the algorithms and things. They are all tools. You have to have the the vision and the the creativity and the 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 curiosity to to try them out in all, all these different ways do you see this space evolving over the next few years um if you could just kind of look into the future where do you see this all going with predictive analytics in the future this will eventually become as easy as running a facebook ad where you just swipe a credit card push a button and then the thing happens because a lot of it is already very very mechanized um, the only thing that i think will still be um, not mechanized will be the human judgment and the context part. That's going to take a lot longer. Machines won't be able to do that. So a lot of what we were talking about is like, how do we apply this to a publisher, for example? That You have to have some experience in publishing. You have to have some experience in how businesses work in order to be able to see those possibilities. Now, once you've mapped out the grand strategy, then yeah, you sort of push the button, swipe your credit card, you pay your $99 monthly fee, and you know it spits out charts. Uh, I think that will definitely be uh, in the next, you know, within the next five years. And then further on down the road, as general purpose AI gets better and better, uh, some of it will become just proactive where if you say, Hey machine, I want you to optimize my Facebook spend based on demand. The machine will automatically do the prediction, figure out when the peaks and the valleys are and, and basically run, run your budget and run your ads for you. That's probably five to 10 years out. Wow. Absolutely amazing. Uh, Chris, for the, the mid-size to larger businesses that um, might want to hire you 
or find out more about you and your business, why don't you tell them where they can uh, discover you and then also maybe where they can discover your, your podcast? Sure. So you can discover this stuff at braintrustinsights.com. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at CSPen. Uh, double and, N, I, right? Double N. The double N, yep. yep. Uh, you can also search my blog, ChristopherSPen.com. Um, but that's, you know, happy to, to have a conversation with anybody. Uh, I would encourage you to, inc- to attend social media examiner events. I'm at them a lot. <laughs> so uh, some good opportunities there. And then uh, my podcast is called marketingovercoffee.com. Chris Penn, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your awesome insights with us. Thank you for having me, Michael. Well, I know we got kind of nerdy and techy there, and I hope you were able to track with everything we were talking about. If there's anything we mentioned and you weren't able to keep no, keep up with it because you're on the go or whatever, don't worry. We take the notes for you. Socialmediaexaminer.com slash 297. 297. Sounds like a good price point. <laughs> Man, we're hitting 300 here in just a little bit. Also, hit that subscribe button if you're new. And if you're a regular listener, I would love a rating and or a review on whatever platform you are listening on. This brings us to the end of another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your awesome, cool host, Michael Stelzner. I promise to be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day. And may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.